Hey there, thanks for checking out episode 165 of The Dealer Playbook, a podcast devoted to helping enrich and empower the lives of automotive professionals worldwide. If this is the first time you've ever checked out the show, man, thank you so much. I would strongly encourage you to also go back and listen to all of the past episodes where you're going to get ideas, tips, tricks, and strategies that will help you take your career and life to epic levels. That's right, epic. Okay, you with me? Today, I sit down with Sean Rains. Sean is a staple in the automotive industry. He's funny, he's charismatic, he's wise, and all of that is just wrapped up in a bundle of warmth and genuine care and concern for the amazing people in our industry. In 2005, a gentleman for whom I have a great deal of admiration and respect for, M. Russell Ballard, taught, what matters most is what lasts longest. And that's really the the underlying theme of what Sean and I discuss in this episode of the podcast. Oftentimes, especially uh, in the digital landscape, it can seem difficult to identify what will have the most positive impact on business growth. So definitely stay tuned all the way through this conversation. Sean's going to drop some powerful wisdom on that very topic. Now, real quick, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, wherever you're listening to it right now, Go ahead and do that and also make sure you turn on notifications so that you can get notified when new episodes permeate the ether. (laughs) And of course, I would love to connect with you on social. LinkedIn, you can find me by searching my name, Michael Cirillo, and on Instagram at dealer underscore playbook or over on the YouTube channel by searching for the dealer playbook. All right. Now for Sean Rains. Here we go. You were you were sitting on one side of this building, <clears throat> a very ambient building, lots of reverb, nice plate reverb, big open space, kind of like the bathroom. Not that I uh, <laughs> sing in the... But anyways, um, bringing people too deep into my personal life here. And I just remember hearing from one side of the building, you know, mine eyes have seen the glory. And I was like, I can't. I could jam to this and I just like without even thinking just busted out the the baseline and it makes me chuckle because I don't know anybody else that would just be okay with that I do remember that now yes and I remember even some of my team members were looking at me like A how do you know this song and B how do you know how to sing bass like oh my goodness yeah I mean I don't know that there's a lot of people that would appreciate this dialogue, but I would hope that there would be lots and lots. I mean, sure, you and I probably in our personal circles have lots of people that would appreciate it. But if you were raised going to church and yep. you were and I am not kidding and and you were lucky enough or if you don't believe in luck, if you were blessed, if you were fortunate enough, if you were privileged <laughs> enough, because yep. honestly, it is to be at a church where people sang really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, how do you put a kind of price on that? I mean, I grew up going to churches where, you know, most people sang really well. I mean, there was a, there was a big emphasis on the importance of these old hymns that yeah. not all of them are great, but there's a whole bunch of them that were just beautifully written, especially when they're sung in parts. Loved it. Loved it. I think, you, you know what? And, and I think, I don't know, maybe our bond, yours <laughs> and mine connected even deeper because i was like you know one of my favorite renditions of a hymn was um was uh carrie underwood's um how great thou art or yes. she, she she performs it with um vince, vince gill, gill. Mm-hmm. and you were like shut up and i was like no i'm dead serious and i'm like and, and i i even pulled out my phone to my google play or whatever and i'm like dude look how many times i've listened to this song in the last you know yeah three weeks or something like that because it's so powerful and i'm with you and i think even to that degree um because i grew up a choir boy like um you know in a mixed kind of youth choir that was kind of the thing we did on even sunday evenings after church we would go go home eat rest and then we would go back to the church and and go sing in a choir kind of a thing um and i think 
I think it's a privilege. And I think it, to your point, it, it does make a difference and it, it is life changing. And it's also because it, not only do you get to connect kind of on a spiritual plane, um, but you are also connecting with other like-minded uh, kids. You're learning how to do something. Like I remember, I remember we had this, our choir director, Myra, Myra Tallstrip, God rest her soul. She's since passed, but she would audition you like she was serious. <laughs> and I remember rolling into this choir as a 12 year old, you know, all these cute 16 year old girls in the choir and, you know, 12 to 18 was kind of the age range. <clears throat> all these cute girls in the choir. And here we are, we roll in like, you know, 12 year olds where, you know, if a snake looked at us the wrong way, we would, uh, we would, you know, not know what to think of ourselves. And and thinking, man, I got to impress these girls. And here's Myra <laughs> who auditions us. And she's like, all right, so what position do you think you could sing? And I'm like, oh, man, like I'm a I'm a bass, like totally a bass. I'm maybe a tenor, like at least a tenor. Second, and she's like, OK, second tenor. <laughs> yeah, second tenor. Exactly. And I, I just remember and because this was in front of the whole group. So you're standing in front of like 30, 40 kids at that time. And, you know, she's like, OK, well, here's a middle seat. Hmm. And I was stretching, man. I was like, eh, you know, like, eh, like this sort of thing. She's like, yeah, you're a soprano. <laughs> and off goes little big headed Michael, you know, to sing with all the other girls in the soprano section. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like that Singing is the hallelujah chorus, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which was oh, performed anyway. um, just as a side note. And I thought it was beautiful, which was performed at church this uh, Sunday, this past Sunday on Easter. Um, I was I just was like, wow, I was not expecting it. It was amazing. It was so good. I, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Full orchestra. Like, I don't know how big this choir is at this church, but it's big. Um, just right. sounded beautiful. It was wonderful. You sang in, was it a quartet? Yeah, that's I I think I had told you that story when we were kind of bonding over the How Great Thou Art favorite rendition. By the way, mm -hmm. I still can't. Uh, I cannot watch the video, the live performance of that. Actually, yeah. maybe I don't even know if I can still like listen to the whole song without. But I certainly can't watch the way that she delivers that song emotionally and very genuinely. I can't watch mm -hmm. that performance without shedding a tear, sometimes a few more than just a one or two tears. It's just it moves me. I mean, the song yeah. moves me. The performance uh, moves me. It, uh, it's just incredible. And then the spontaneous reaction of the audience. Like it just, oh, oh, I mean, love it. but yes, look um, what it did to them. There was like 30,000 people in that, yeah. in that arena and each one of them was just choked up. You could just, you could see the goosebumps, mm -hmm. you know, on their arms. Yeah. Long Powerful before stuff. that performance was, was done. Yes, I was. <clears throat> so I grew up in Washington state, you know that, but, um, there was a part of my life. I'll just be, I mean, you're recording all this stuff and we'll just see if any of it ever is. <laughs> used against me. I don't think it will. Cause I think this is a good story, but there was a time in my life where, um, you know, I had my wife and I long before children lived in Southern California, we moved there right after the, the Rodney King era riots and right mm. as the OJ Simpson trial was going on. And then the, um, the verdict came in for that. And so racial tensions were really, uh, something that I had not experienced growing up in a small town in Washington state. Just there was, there were none. It was, you know, everybody respects their fellow man. And there wasn't a lot of racial diversity, of course, where I grew up, but there certainly was no animosity or racism. I just didn't grow up with that. Um, but when I moved to Southern California, it was, it was really like, it slaps you in the face. Like there was so much tension at that time. And so we were there for a short period of time, about three year, three plus years, moved back to Washington and that's where I met. And I tell that story in the video that's on my YouTube channel that doesn't have enough, you know, videos on it. But I tell that story about getting involved with this group called the bright stars, um, all African-American members. <clears throat> I met uh, Larry and Milford 
uh, went to the church that that we went to. And uh, just in a chance meeting, I met these guys and they were like, we have this acapella group. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I love acapella music. I'd love to come and hear you guys. And they invited me to their rehearsal on a Friday night. Anyway, long story made short. I got like put in the group when I was not expecting to be put in the group. And all of that in that period of my life, there was a lot of intentional. Um, uh, I didn't come up with the term at the term time. I heard this a million times over of racial reconciliation, that it's important to be honest with that because people do have prejudices, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're racist. And I didn't feel like I was a racist person, but I definitely felt like there's a whole bunch of perspectives that I there's no way that I could completely um, respect or understand unless I'm really intentional about having real relationships. And that's why I, I said yes to them. And I got really involved with that. We, I mean, we sang everywhere for free prisons. I mean, you'll never ever know what it's like to sing in the prison until you've sung in the prison and they make you take off all these things. You're no belt, no shoes, no, you're like, well, we kind of dressed up to look good. Um, no, you're going through all of these huge, big locking, all these doors, yeah. you know, background checks on everybody. Yeah. yeah. Before you get, yeah, it was crazy, but, um, man, I, you're like, I spent so much time last night, but dazzling <laughs> these shirts. Yeah. But that part of my life, just to wrap yeah. this story as it relates to how great thou art is I wanted to tell that story in that video because just like you, Mike, I know you've spoken in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people at conferences. Um, I, I've had the good fortune to do the same. And yet the the one moment that stands out in my life is the top um, was was really to an audience of one. We were in a we were singing in a nursing facility, like an old folks home in a little teeny town. Um, and this woman waited until we were done. And there was only maybe 15 people, including staff that even came to see our concert. And she waits till right. the end and comes up to me and say, Hey, do you know my favorite song? And I think, you know, the rest of the story, she couldn't remember it. She, she walked away with tears in her eyes. She comes back 15 minutes later, gets halfway to me slowly on her, with her walker. How great thou art. That's my favorite song. And I was like, <clears throat> Oh Lord, my God. And I just started singing and the rest of the guys kind of came around me. All of the equipment was already torn down and we just sang this song for an audience of one. And I don't know, there are things I think that happened in our lives when my children were born. It felt like the same thing, like some sort of lightning, like, um, like goes through you and connects you to something that can only be explained as something spiritual. Like I can't, you know, I believe in science, but I can't explain yeah. some of those things by science. And it was, it was amazing yeah. over that song. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the, there is both spiritual and temporal significance to that story. The first one being, you know, the, those, the, the Bible passages um, of the good shepherd, right? Who among you would not having found one of your lost sheep essentially, don't quote me on this, but essentially would not leave the 90 and nine to go and find the one. Mm. <laughs> and when you've, yeah. and when you've found the one would not put them over your shoulders and bring them back into the fold. So there's a spiritual thing there, but there's also a very temporal thing. Think of leadership. Think of our duty as citizens on this beautiful planet to find ourselves. Maybe we are the one that's lost. Or maybe we are the one that needs personal improvement or help. Uh, and then once we have done that, how important it is, it, it is for us to keep our eyes open to our coworkers. Maybe, maybe we're, we're the sales professional that's looking to our leader and our leader's the one that needs help to, to go and leave the 90 and nine who are doing okay to go and find the one. Um, I think just such a powerful message. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. Completely agree. So, yeah, I think there's some. And now you work in the car business. So <laughs> how did how did that all happen? How did you transition from the bright star <laughs> to to the auto industry? Yeah, you know, I was in the auto industry when when all of that happened in my life. Um, I uh, it's funny. Um, I did a I did a little interview at Digital Dealer a few weeks ago in Orlando. And that was one mm -hmm. of the things that the interviewer didn't know about me. And he's like, how'd you get into all this? 
And I, I say this, it's probably out there and I don't know if it's been recorded or not, but I, I used to feel like Luke Skywalker. Like I was a young Jedi. I don't anymore. I feel like Yoda. Uh, you know, I, I've been <laughs> at it for, for a long time. I got into the digital side of all of this in the late nineties. Um, but that's mm-hmm. not when I got into the car business. I got into the car business. Um, you know, I auditioned to be in this, um, music program that was out of a junior college, but it was a really cool program. And, um, basically, um, was supposed to go and audition, uh, for the army band and army choir. And within, I don't know, it felt like maybe only a 24 hour notice. I know my recruiter was very upset. I think cause he wanted it. My hair was long. He wanted to cut it, but, um, my senior counselor in high school found this program and I ended up going to this junior high school or this junior college high school. Um, in this music program where I got to, you know, go and tour Hawaii and play all these, you know, military officers clubs and super fancy, you know, uh, country clubs for rich people. And we did huge performances for, uh, private parties held by Boeing and Microsoft and Pepsi. And like, it was, it was so much fun. That's where I met my wife. And when I met her, this wasn't like a junior college that was in my town. It was a few hours away from where my parents lived. So, um, you know, so I was renting a room, you know, I was not living at home. I, I moved out of my parents' house the summer after I graduated high school and never moved back. But I met this girl who I'm still married to, to this day. And, um, I was just willing to do whatever it took. So I got a job at this parts warehouse, auto parts warehouse. And, um, that literally that just that little story changed my life forever. I mean, forever was in the car business. And then, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between that moment and then getting into the digital side, but that's where the car business part started. I learned the anatomy of a car. I understood, um, you know, um, I understood service terminology and lingo uh, so much better after working in a parts warehouse. And I was with that company for 10 years, moved to Southern California, managed my own warehouse, managed their corporate facility by the time. And I was in my early 20s um, by the time I moved back up to Washington, got into sales. And then this Internet thing blew up in the mid late 90s. And I was like, I got to get jump in <laughs> to that. Yeah. 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 So um, how. I have so many things I want to ask you. Uh, The first one is obviously being in the industry now this long, working in digital as long as you have. um, What is a myth that has transcended the last 20 or 30 years when it comes to digital in this industry? That is just that a myth. A 20 year old myth. Um, (laughs) What's something, you know, because we latch on to things. We're like, oh, that's that. And that's going to lasso the sun, the moon and the stars. Or there's this thing now and that's going to solve all of our problems. And and if we could just do this in last click attribution and SEO and blah, blah, blah. What's the one thing that just keeps it? It's still here. It still plagues us, but it could possibly. I mean, and I don't have an answer. I'm not leading you down. Like, I don't know. I'm just I want to dive into your brain. Mm What's that one thing that we just need to put aside because we're not ready for it or or you know, just something we, we should have been thinking about all along that we haven't thought deeply enough about yet. I feel like I have to be careful in, uh, what I say because, you know, depending on, uh, the audience for this. So a couple of things come to mind. A great question. I don't think I've really thought about that very deeply. So from the surface, uh, here's a couple of things to go through my mind. One, I think that since the internet showed up in the automotive industry from a tier, uh, three perspective or from the retail perspective, <clears throat> I think there are still way too many and don't get mad at me dealers. Cause I'm on your side. I love you guys. It's what I do. I'm literally entrenched with helping you guys as much as you'll allow me to, to get better and better. But I think that there's still far too many dealers that believe that along with the internet, that they have transformed the way they like to do business to be, uh, delivering a great customer experience. 
that, no, we don't do it the way we used to. You know, we don't have all these terrible terms like lay down and, you know, all that. Right. Um, so it's it's not the way that it used to be. The processes are so much better. Um, I don't believe that. I believe that there are some things that are better, but not enough. And I think that's the reason why we still see that the customer experience, if, if you're providing, people love to say it's Zappos or Nordstrom's or whatever, just pick any company that provides a great experience to their customers that they can point to it and say, that's the reason why people are loyal to us. That's the reason why people tell others to come and eat at our restaurant or buy our clothing or whatever. Take whatever model it is. I don't care if it's Zappos or Disney or whatever. And then say, how do we become that level of professional at our dealership? And if that's a standard, pick which one you want. If that becomes your standard, then you realize pretty quickly we can do better. So I think that um, there's still too many dealers that believe that they have done enough, that they have changed enough um, with their process and the way that they treat internet or digital customers. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement there. And I, I think that the reason why we don't see it is um, perhaps maybe fear. People don't want to look in the mirror and be really honest that, you know mm -hmm. what, we've got people that don't represent us well. Maybe it's um, there's probably other factors, but that's one thing that I think is a, you know, 20 year old problem, at least as we think that on the retail side that we've done enough and we're doing great because the internet forced us to do so. Um, there's partial truth to that, but on the whole, I think there's still so much more that could be done to improve that. That's one. Um, do you ahead. think that the, uh, chasm, the, the perceived chasm of the, of the, um, Carvanas or anything. Do you, how much should we be paying attention to that as a as a single rooftop or as a tier one dealership? <clears throat> I should have asked you if you were going to ask me all these questions that my answers could perhaps uh, bring about the scorn of an entire industry. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I actually don't really care. You know, I <laughs> my whole career I've just tried to be myself and be really honest. So I'll give you. But here's the thing: I ask you because a I know. I know your intention. <laughs> I know your intention is to help. I know, like, I know you personally, and I know that, that your thoughts on these, um, come from lots of education, lots of wisdom, lots of observation. And, and I mean, you know what? And people that listen to the show know that we are not slamming them. I'm not slamming Carvana. I think they've got some really incredible things that they're doing. And, and I talk about them on the stage a lot. Um, but it's, but there's, there's kind of two, two sides of the camp, right? Like there are dealers who are like, up oh, the impending doom of Carvana. We're going out of business. See you guys <laughs> mm -hmm. later. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. And then there's those that are like, and you see it in the LinkedIn comments. They, they see companies like Carvana or like, you know, such as Carvana or the likes of, and they go, yeah, but they're in so much debt. Blah, blah, blah. So there's like denial on one side mm -hmm. that they're doing anything good. And then there is just, yeah, we're done. We're toast. Um, is there an in-between there? Can a dealership in Kentucky or I don't know, I'm coming up with names now. Can they, can they compete? Can they evolve? Can they address the demands of the market with how we perceive things are headed. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, I have a Carvana vending machine. Maybe it's 10 minutes from my house. Um, I, I remembered watching uh, it go up in the construction. And I remembered when they finally, you know, turned the lights on in that thing at night. And then when it started to fill up with cars, and I want to say the one here is seven or eight, stories, if that's what they call them, like seven or eight levels of cars. Sure. Um, right. We have in our industry, I think in lots of industries where there are these people who are wanting to pioneer the future, but not without there being people who are kind of the guard guardsmen or the prison guards of, of the past. And it, it becomes okay. like this huge, like war between people who want to be innovative um, for what reason? I think it's always important to ask. We, we have lots of companies that will come up with new solutions for dealers to problems they never had in the first place. So then if you've got a really good sales force, you end up selling dealers a whole bunch of stuff that they sit there and scratch their head. What, what does this even do for us? 
There's a lot of that. Right. Um, yeah. I don't want to see, I don't want to see dealers, franchise dealers or independent dealers um, lose market share or, you know, hopefully not uh, go out of business because, you know, the Carvanas of the world, um, you know, become like the, the preference. There are a lot of people that know much more about the Carvana model and the financial health of Carvana and others. They're not the only ones. There are a lot of detractors that would love to see Tesla be a complete failure that would want and believe that Carvana will be a complete failure. I'm, I'm not so quick to say that, yep, for sure that that's not going to work because there is absolutely another side of the Tesla sales model, the Tesla customer experience model, that if you can afford one, um, it's probably hitting your radar because of what? The customer experience, if the product is good, um, same thing with Carvana, that customer experience is something that people want and they've been asking for for a long time. And we've been saying that we're gonna deliver it and you can have it since, Really, maybe 99 or the early 2000s, carsdirect.com was meant to be that. You know, Michael Dell and Penske and everybody that was involved with that in the early goings. The idea for Cars Direct was, we'll, we'll make it easy. We're going to do all the negotiation for you and all that, which at that time, there was a lot of people that thought that's, that's the way that people want to buy cars on the internet. But it was a little premature and there's, you know, a whole lot of other factors there. But um, I'm not a I'm not necessarily a fan of because I've never bought a car through Carvana. Um, would I? I'm, maybe. I certainly have been all over their website and I know that the process pieces and what they communicate through their website looks about 10 million times better than most dealer websites. They look, it looks mm -hmm. a million times better than most digital retailing technologies that I've seen. No disrespect to any of the companies because there's plenty of those out there now. Um, I just, I think when you come from uh, far enough away from the incubator of all things in our world, um, that you, you, you end up being captivated by a perspective that isn't maybe already drenched or tainted or compromised by sitting here in this same pool and then like, Hey, what, who's right. going to come up with the next big new idea? So, you know, I don't know that that totally answers your question, but um, I, I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm, I'm certainly not a fan of wanting those types of business models to put dealers out of business. I am a big fan of what can we learn like, why is there such a groundswell of, especially when the customer's heart and mind is reached? Like, I love that. It'd be interesting yeah. to find out, hey, yeah. if you could afford a Tesla, would you would you strongly consider it? I'm sure maybe somebody's asked that question, but that would be a great question to ask. You know, they've only got a few models to choose from. If you could afford one, would you consider that? Would you strongly consider it? I bet we'd be surprised to find out that a lot of people, especially even younger people who right now can't afford it, but we're all freaked out that as they get older, um, they will push us away from buying more cars and that we'll go into transportation as a service, as Lyft wants it to be, as they have gone on record of saying, and I'm sure Uber believes the same thing. Um, anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and to add to that, I, well, hopefully it adds to it. I, I'm a big fan of, yeah, okay, maybe you don't have the same resources that Carvana does. Maybe you're not going to go for some, you know, Series A funding and Series B funding to get this idea off the ground. However, with the resources that you already have available to you, what are some ways, you know, from the learning, what are some things you can do that would improve the experience beyond what it is right now? Because to your point, you, you could mm -hmm. do better. Yep. That's it's almost this MacGyver MacGyver. Okay. I got a toothpick and you know, a pack of Wrigley's gum. I'm going to make a better yeah. customer experience. Yeah. Very, very true. I, I absolutely think that we can get okay. better. We can, dealers can get better with, um, that's one of the things that's been, I think in the last year plus for me has, has probably been, I think more on my mind than anything else is, um, we can get better. Like we process, we, we process whether like I want to make sure that I'm covering yeah. the whole audience. So to my Canadian friends process, 
and to my um, not as um, appreciative of maybe pronouncing not as Canadian, <laughs> you non-Canadians than process, but process, process slash process has been something yep. that's been on my mind yep. heavy for the last year plus, mainly because, um, you know, it's, it's still all over the place, regardless of how many different leads you have coming in and sources and, you know, the highest quality ones. Again, it's still, there's a big, huge, uh, open, like uh gap that we haven't closed, you know, those knowledge gaps. It's almost astonishing to me that there's still such a huge one uh, where, where it relates to process. Okay. So uh, as an example, what, what's one process you find just has a consistent knowledge? Um, gap? <clears throat> lead handling, <laughs> lead handling. Um, okay. Knowledge gap there is um, you, you wouldn't be surprised by this, but, I think a lot of people would be surprised that when you do just a tiny bit of investigation on what's your process like for lead handling, you'll find that most uh, dealers are, are, pro are their process for lead handling is hasn't been looked at or examined in the last five or 10 years. <laughs> so that that's a problem. Yeah. Um, then the, and a knowledge gap, because there are people that would prefer to communicate differently and maybe they came through, uh, it was, let's just say, uh, use chat, which I'm not a huge fan of, but that's another topic maybe. But let's just say that the chat agent was successful in turning you into a lead. Okay. Um, did we actually have a conversation enough to find out that we got some quality information from the chat? And what was the source? Did that chat come right off your website or some other? Um, that's one area where I think just basic lead handling, <clears throat> but I'll, I'll go even further. If your process for lead handling is one, hasn't been updated in years, but is also uh, tied to it's the exact same process delivered for somebody that is generated. The, the lead is generated from your website versus uh, say a third party source, um, you know, trader Canada or trader in the States, whatever. If your process is exactly the same for right. every single lead source, <clears throat> there's room for improvement. Um, and, and a lot of people would say, no, we're just processing, you know, all exactly the same, but they don't all, um, perform the same. And so, um, I used to believe that, yeah, just, you know, have a good process and execute it against every single lead. But there may be some variation in what you're saying, because the reality is, is if you actually do execute with consistency, meaning you answer the right questions or the questions that they ask, you follow up quickly, those kind of things. Those are the basics. If you've got 101 down, the, the next uh, stage of that is, okay, now go back and look at every single one of those sources and find out, well, what's the lead to appointment ratio and how many of those appointments are kept? And then what's eventually, what's the lead to sale ratio? Well, they're not the same. And so you, as you start to weed out some of the ones that you're just like wasting time on, you'll find out, hmm, is it, should, are we really wasting time or is there something that could be changed in our process with this particular lead source that would generate a better result? And until you've gone through that and it sounds like that doesn't sound like any fun at all. Well, it's not fun, but if you want to run a dealership, if you want to run any business that is based on, we need to, you know, get as many leads as we possibly can, which has become, you know, the same uh, zombies addicted to brains, the same way that leads are, you know, dealers are addicted to leads. Yeah. Right. If that's going to be your, um, you know, a big part of your business model, then you're going to want to go through all these variations of figuring out which sources maybe are absolutely a waste of money. It's possible, but not until you've actually tried to no. e execute and dial in a process that might just be a little different um, between the, the various sources. What's interesting about what you're saying is, yeah, you know what? This whole process of improvement, it sucks. And there's no easy way around it. Like if there was, you've heard the cliche quotes, everybody says it. If it were that easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> um, there's a documentary about Usain Bolt on Netflix. And it kind of documents his journey of, you know, being as great as he is as a runner, an Olympic runner. And him and his coach laugh. There's one one segment where him and his coach are laughing because he hates 
practice so much. Like he <laughs> absolutely just despises the process of practicing. He hates that he can't just eat what he wants. He hates that, you know, he has to show up and run in the heat of the day for hours. And, um, you know, just he hates the whole process. What does he like? He likes winning. He likes the money. He likes the endorsements. He, he basically likes the payoff. Well, how's that any different? Really, what we're talking about is optimizing process, optimizing conversion, optimizing everything very contextually until um, it is somewhere where you are at least um, comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, it's important for everybody to understand that the process of improvement is never ending. There is no end to this because you can always be better. Mm -mm. That's right. Yep. Yep. And, and it's, uh, you know, in our industry, well, at the, at the retail side of our industry, uh, it's, it's, I think, I think it's more complicated today than it ever has been 30 years ago, no internet, no social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you said in your advertising, you know, people believed, I mean, that right. was, up until the internet, which forced transparency on everybody who didn't want it forced on them. And, you know, one by one or industry by industry, if the internet and the access to information at this speed and, um, you know, all these different communication methods that have come up and the rise of mobile technology and all these things, we're living through this transformation of the ability to communicate quickly and exchange information quickly um, to advertise at a deeper level of targeting than anyone else is going to see in our lifetimes. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's, 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 it's crazy. And there are a lot of things that I think we have taken for granted. And I think sometimes, and I don't know, I don't want to say that it's always on purpose, but I think that there's certainly have been a rise of, of um, vendors, technology vendors in the last 20 years, since the internet showed up for the automotive industry that, that absolutely are able to, and they know it, take advantage of, um, you know, of, of dealers because the, sure. the dealers are they're They're clearly disadvantaged from a lot of different perspectives. But one of the yeah. things that's relative to process is, and I tell, you know, I've had dealers, you know, in the last several months that will, you know, we get into this type of conversation. They're like, well, how do we change any of that? Like, how do we, you know, how do we make a difference here? And I'm like, you know, the thing that you're really good at is selling cars. I mean, you're, that's what you're amazing at. Right. But, I don't think we've ever stepped back and, and actually said the internet actually didn't make it easier. So most, most people would believe the internet made selling cards easier. Did it? I mean, no. we're, we're 20 years in. It made it different. It made it different, but it didn't make it easier. If you would have had an industry that where point of sale right inside the dealership was almost groomed for it, ready for it, like hungry for something like that, it would have been a completely different story. We wouldn't even be talking about this as a topic, but it wasn't. It was an industry that was dependent on controlling the customer. I mean, massive control of the customer. And that was done largely by controlling the price and all of the information about the product. So I think it was Eric Schmidt that said this years ago, I actually put a quote of his in maybe one of the first presentations I ever did at a larger automotive event where he was basically, I'm paraphrasing here, saying that these business models of the past that were basically, you know, determined and based on the control of the customer and the information um, are all going to fall away over time. And so I don't think we've ever really been honest enough to say that in our industry for for dealers, and I, again, I sympathize with the dealer. I want to help them is that, well, their business model was like that. So the internet shows up and unfortunately you're going to kick and fight and scream and, you know, do whatever you can to resist that. And most dealers were like this internet thing, it's a fad, or I hope it's a fad. And um, then it's not a fad. So now what do we do? Well, I think that before we ever really started to help dealers with the process part. And it's not as if people haven't been trying since the internet showed up, but I think we got really, really good or the industry vendors became really good at coming up with new um, lead generation models. Tons of them popped up. Then it's all sorts of different digital marketing things that have come down the path. And you asked this earlier 
you know, how many things are like a myth now. Yeah. I think that we'll start to see more and more of these things that are a myth. Of course, the people that sell paid search or SEM would never say, well, that, that's a myth that it's not valuable. Okay. But there are some things about paid search that have been represented, represented from almost the time that it showed up on the, on the scene as a generate your own first party leads. I was one of the people in maybe oh seven saying stop saying that you're generating first party leads because you're putting yourself in direct competition with people who are third party lead providers but you're making it seem as if a dealer could go and generate the same volume there's just two different things right. you may need to do both i'm not saying you should pick one over the other you might need to do both that requires a marketing assessment of what are you trying to accomplish but there are i, I think we went full speed ahead towards what are all the new things that we can develop, not just our industry. I mean, Google, obviously, with the advent of AdWords in what, October 2000 is when it came out. It's been nothing but brilliance from Google's perspective and even Facebook's perspective of look what we did in creating our audience. They tell us everything. They search for everything. We know everything about them. Wow. We can build a advertising platforms that are the best that mankind's ever seen. That's true. Yeah. But right. does it mean that it's better? And does it does it speak to or does it factor in, well, did we help this, in our case, the auto industry um, with how they're going to handle the process? Is this more difficult for them? Do they have salespeople that can now accommodate how all these things are are happening? I don't believe that we have. So I think now there are a lot of dealers that believe that their biggest problems are relative to something within marketing or advertising. My website's not good enough. I need a brand new paid search vendor or I need, you know, programmatic display ads, or maybe I should try some Pandora radio or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, man, like the big thing, the snake that's about to bite you is actually your process is horrible. So you will yeah. never know if any of those what you consider to be marketing problems are actually problems because you're you're not doing anything to help yourself from just a process. And that's um, easy for me to say. Um, it's not easy to just, OK, well, one, tell the dealer here. Here are the complications within that, because there are a lot of reasons why a dealer's process is broken and disseminating all of that and having productive dialogue to try to fix it is actually that in and of itself is not an easy conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because when you're thinking inwardly about your own business, it can be really difficult or, or many find it difficult to go, but what, what would I do that's so much better? And I always say, okay, well stop thinking about yourself. Think about, think about the last negative review you left on like that 75 cent hot dog and Coke combo at Ikea. <laughs> And and all of the ideas you came up with that would have made that experience better for you now apply that to your dealership. So you are capable of thinking about ways to improve now apply it to inwardly to your business. Um, the same way people are leaving reviews about your business and how the process could be. I mean, that's that's free. That is free advice that you're getting that you can take to your to your team to find ways to discover how to make things better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I personally. I personally love, I wish I could say it without laughing. <laughs> Some, it, good thing I'm not a comedian because, well, first of all, no one would, no one would come and see me, but I, I personally love sitting behind the desk for two and a half, half hours wondering what the business manager is typing into their keyboard about me. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you, I mean, there's so many things you could start there. And I've talked about this on past episodes with, with other guests who talk a lot about experience and process. Um, when's the last time you walked through an entire process? So as a, as a leader in the, in the store, or maybe as a sales team leader, or, or just as yourself as a sales professional or working in the business office, when's the last time you even just role played the entire process of purchasing a vehicle from your store. Mm, that's a great question. It's a great question. I, I tell dealers and have uh, f for several years now when they get into, it used to be, have you ever sold a car in your life? I used to get that late nineties, yeah. early two thousands, you ever sold a car in your life. And there was a period of time where I actually had to say, uh, no, I, I haven't, uh, you know, have you ever built a website in your life? <laughs> 
but I, no, I never yeah. said that. Um, but um, I sold cars when I was already working on this digital stuff and just didn't tell anybody about it nights and weekends because I wanted the experience, which was which was great. But um, for several years now, I've told dealers, look, I'm not on your side. Like, I'm not going to try to tell you that I know how to sell cars better than you. I may know things about the processes that might help you. Uh, see success or find success that you wouldn't see because you don't understand, you know, some component of this. So I'm, I'm a bigger fan of how do we have a conversation together to, you know, people throw around the word partnership quite a bit, but really that's what you want with your, the vendors that you've chosen. You want to know them so well because you've held yourself accountable that the accountability conversations that you can have with them drive you to a deeper type of partnering relationship where you can have those types of conversations about, yes, you haven't sold cars, but your insight is really valuable. And we want to try some of those things, just like we don't do what you do in the middle yeah. Right. But you don't find a lot of, you know, vendors that really, truly desire that relationship. Some do. Some just don't. They're just, you know, let's just sell it until we've got enough that somebody wants to buy us kind of thing. Yeah, It's such a flawed philosophy. Have you ever sold a car before? Have you like, why are we creating this barrier? I'll tell you what, if I go into battle, I am not a soldier by any stretch of the imagination. But when I go into battle, I hope my platoon has a munition specialist and a medic. And a captain who has experience, who who knows the lay of the land, who understands strategy, uh, and a gunner. And do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a, a vehicle specialist. Well, I don't think any of those people are like, have you ever uh, bandaged a wound? Have you ever applied morphine before? It's like, <laughs> no, dude. But there's a dude in my platoon who is a quote unquote specialist. Right. And, and he is not as good at like... Just like I don't know the human anatomy the way he does, he doesn't know how to rig together a freaking, you know, bomb with six toothpicks and some, you know, duct tape like I do. And that's why we are a band of brothers, um, a platoon going into battle together. And so, you know, to your point about um, working together in the spirit of partnership, that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I never sold a car or maybe some, maybe the new person in your dealership has never sold a car, but maybe just maybe they are bringing experience to the table that you don't have. Now, using that same analogy, and now I'm starting to rant. You, you just pulled, <laughs> you just pulled on a cord here. Sorry. Rant. It's, all good. Um, it, it's like, Hey, um, do we all have some common ground? Yes, of course we do. We're all soldiers in battle. If we're going to keep going down that, that, and you know, using that analogy, um, there's going to be some common ground and that's good. We need to kind of have that so that we understand each other. But I am also depending very heavily in a very Henry Ford esque way on your specialty and your vantage point so that I can be successful. And you're going to rely just as heavily on my experience to help you be successful. That's how we rise to the top together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it's beautifully said Thank you. And uh, so anyway, so, okay, so now let's move this a little bit more digital because lead handling and all of that, that ties in very, very naturally um, to the whole digital thing. And I love what you were saying about first party. I'm going to generate first party leads. (laughs) Um, Lead handling. I, I I was listening to a phone call from a dealership, one of our clients a few weeks ago. And I kid you not, the phone call went something like this. Dealer picks up. They say, you know, ABC Motors, just like that. <laughs> the the client says, "How are you today?" <laughs> Roll reversal. <laughs> Roll over. I was like, "What is happening right now?" And and so I had to listen to the call three or four times to really get an understanding of what's going on. To believe here. what you were hearing. <laughs> to believe what I was hearing. I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to believe that. Uh, yeah. ABC motors long pause. Uh, how are you today? I'm fine. You good. Hey, do you have the, I'm really interested in the, um, you know, black expedition. Do you still have that in stock? Yep. Okay. Are you, are you sure though? Because I, I've made calls to other dealerships and then I show up and it's like, yeah, no, no, it's here. It's definitely here. 
Well, I'm a hundred percent sure. Well, hold on a sec. Maybe I should go and look at and just like, this is the real phone call. And I thought, and marketing's the problem mm-hmm. and your website's the problem that these are the things that tend to always get an overhaul is oh, websites, not converting leads. We should just overhaul and start from scratch. What's your take on that? Um, <clears throat> I think that that, I think that goes back into some of these, um, other problems that are not marketing problems. So I would say to a, a situation like that, that, uh, we have a, uh, we have a people problem, um, uh, before we probably even have the process problem. Um, and it's not easy to find really high quality people. I know some people think they've got that crack and they've kind of figured it out in, in our industry. I maybe a couple dealers out there. Let's work all of them right now. Shall we? <laughs> um, I, I, I feel for them. I mean, think about yeah. the world we live in right now. And just the scenario that you just described, we do not mm-hmm. have people with the attention spans. We do not have people with the, a real genuine, and I mean, I won't say any, most though, don't have this fire burning inside of them to be the best car sales professional the world has ever seen. Yeah. We have people who, you know, they come out of college and because they, you know, studied, you know, a business long before they even have an MBA, but they studied business, they feel like they should go right into management over all of the old Gen Xers, you know, maybe a few straggling baby boomers that, but we're management material. It's what we studied. We have, mm-hmm. and I don't want to make this kind of a political thing, but we do have the younger generations now where people, you know, look to the kind of the entitlement and there's a warped sense of kind of reality that there aren't a lot of, there are some, there just aren't a lot of young people that are coming into dealerships saying I'm willing to start at the very bottom and work my way up. I understand that regardless of whether I have this degree that says I'm a, you know, English major, or I have no degree and I didn't even finish high school that both of those two people have the exact same opportunity to change their zip code (laughs) by how much they could earn literally from the projects to, you know, Park Avenue, if they wanted to. And there's countless stories in our industry of that happening to people that have the drive. Now, some of them are, you know, maybe they're, you know, not the, you know, kind of salesperson that you would want your mom buying a car from, but they've done it. And then there are others who are absolutely just super ethical and they're just, you know, they just, they get after it. But for the most part, the world we live in now, there are not a whole bunch of people that are turning up inside a dealership saying that I want to be that person. And then we don't actually in the dealership world probably spend enough time, not just vetting the, the uh, interested to join our organizations, but really even asking them the kinds of questions that would perhaps eliminate ever putting somebody on your staff that would deliver the type of phone call that you were just explaining. Right. If we spend enough time on the front end of, hey, have you ever been in a job situation or if you've been at another dealership before, which is always often the case, um, did you did you what percentage of the time were you on the phone? Did you ever receive any phone training? If so, what was the organization? Do you remember what phone training you might find some common ground where people have been through? somebody's phone training that you're familiar with, or you've put your own staff through, and that might be a checkbox. Like, Hey, that's a gold star in consideration of bringing this person on. You might ask similar questions about their familiarity with different CRM tools and without telling them which one your dealership actually spends money on, you ask them which ones that they've had bad experiences with and that they don't like, because what if they say, man, I just hate XYZ CRM. And that just happens to be the one that you've spent all this training and time and money and resource and human capital on making mm-hmm. your dealership make it work. And this person's going right. to come in and poison the well. Like there's that type of thing that doesn't happen enough in our industry either. So, you know, I think in the scenario you're describing, it's um, we we have some we have some serious issues that are not just um you know, the digital side of it, we have, you know, we have people issues. How do we find those people? Um, what are the best solutions to that? There's, 
you know, a handful of answers to that, but I, you know, that's your, your situation you described to me is one where I think it's a huge pain point. Cause I think it's really hard to find really, really great people. And then is the same model that we've been using all this time. Um, is that still the best model? Is that still the best customer experience we can provide to people both on the phone with those people, um, as well as the ones that walk right into the dealership because they have to, to buy the vehicle. Is that still the best model or, you know, uh, there may be better ways to, yeah. to go about that these days too. Okay. So one, one final question as a follow-up to that, how would you recommend assessing the state of the union within your dealership to know, because I mean, and I, and I get it. It's very difficult to say, well, you need to do this, especially because as human beings, we always tend to think in terms of absolutes. Oh, Sean Rain said it on the podcast. That's <laughs> that. That's it. That's our problem. You know, without any regard for the context of their specific situation. So um, what are some things you would recommend to analyze your your current situation so that you can then better assess what your needs are? So there's a couple of things. One will sound uh, completely normal, and that would be a mystery shop. But honestly, mystery shop. So if you need to go to a third party and you need to pay for that, then pay for somebody to do it honestly. And don't tell your staff that, hey, over the next 65 days, we're going to be under some heavy scrutiny for mystery shopping. So be on your best beat. Don't skew the the reality. Uh, be really honest. Yeah. And I'm a big fan if the dealer just says, we're going to do it ourselves, but we're not going to tell everybody. So don't announce it in your sales meetings. But... Mystery shopping is a way to identify that, especially if you're just honest and you're like, we need, we need to know the truth. So don't skew the results, find out the truth, but you can't just do it as pick one source and it's just a form fill mystery shop. You got to have people that will call the dealership and they know that they're not getting, you know, like it's got to be genuine. So it's got to be done by phone call and it's got to be done by phone call through multiple sources. My recommendation would be to do a mystery shop that actually tests through a phone call, through a form submission, through every form of communication. Let's just say you're using um, Auto Trader Canada. And and I don't know this, so I'm just guessing, but I'm assuming that Auto Trader Canada offers multiple different calls to action to get the conversion. If the conversion is defined by a phone call as a conversion, a form fill as a conversion, um, maybe they offer chat through their site, uh, maybe uh, text. You can go right into text messaging. Um, some services will uh, connect you into Facebook Messenger. So let's just say out of those five that you want to test every single one of those from a mystery shop perspective. You want to find out where your holes are, where your weaknesses are. You have to go to that level of depth on every single source. And then you'll find out, oh, wow, we are actually setting appointments at almost a 40% clip when people come through Facebook Messenger. I work with companies that are seeing mm. that. I was when they this particular company told me that they're like a BDC kind of sales optimization company. I've told you about them before. Um, when they told me about their Facebook Messenger stats, I was like, "What? Like that's really impressive. I would have never guessed that in a million years." But anyway, you have to do that across all your sources. And if there are only two methodologies to convert phone call and form, test both of them. And that takes time. How many email addresses, if you're going to do it yourself, how do you make sure that you haven't, you know, let everybody know what's going on that, you know, you got, but it can be done. And so I highly recommend that as number one. Um, the second part I would say is, um, you know, and, and most people, I mean, you, do you guys do actually mystery shopping? Do you guys offer that? Do you ever? Okay. We don't. No. So do you usually no. just tell dealers, Hey, do it yourself. Cause I don't know who to recommend. People have actually said like, who, so who would you recommend? Uh, and I'm like, I don't know, but I'm sure there are companies that will do it. I just don't know if there are any good ones. So uh, if anybody asks, we'll yeah. have to figure that out. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so mystery shopping, definitely good start. Um, second um, to find out what's, you know, kind of really happening at the dealership um, or where you could find improvement. This is the one where it's going to sound like what's Sean talking about? Was he, was, was he in his right mind? 
is um, you don't have to do something as detailed as uh, like a Myers Brig Briggs assessment or disc, you know. Sure. But yeah, um, right. I, and I don't know if I've told you this stuff before, but I'm a really big fan of um, if you have a, a a small enough organization, is take the the personality style test that was based off of um, these four animals: the lion, the otter, the beaver, and the golden yes. retriever. And the yeah. reason why I like I that is because one, and if I ever own a dealership, I will absolutely do this. Um, I want to know about uh, my staff. I want to know about myself and I want to know how I can create the best environment for excellent relationships, especially that are driven by really, really great communication. And I think when we don't know enough right. about our staff, about ourselves, even um, the derailment uh, opportunities abound. And by derailment, I mean, we don't see eye to eye on things that we probably should be able to see eye to eye on. And so the sure. that particular test for me is one where I love it because, you know, and I know you've seen some of these things before, but, you know, it's really simple. You know, you just you put through I've adapted this test for um, I've done it only once as a presentation. There's like 11 people in the room. So apparently they weren't very excited about the topic. Um, but I've done this for a couple of companies as well, where I've basically built through Google uh, Forms um, the ability for them to send this out to all their employees and they can do it. And then they find out, okay, well, the the lion, it's like, here are the attributes and don't pretend like this is who you want to be. But if these words describe this is who I am, I'm purposeful. I'm independent. I'm controlling. I'm bold. I'm a problem solver. I take charge. You know, if these are the things like, oh, okay, you just easily just, you know, chalk up how many of these things really are you and you come up with a number. And it's the same thing across all four animals. But then what you'll find out once you have everybody who's assessed themselves, well, I'm really high as a lion and I'm pretty high as an otter. Okay. Well, you're, you're secondary, especially if you ha score high in two categories. Those are things that you need to pay attention to. And so I, I like that because you can walk people through, especially if it's done in a way where your employees know that, listen, I care about our team. I care about you. I care about your families. I care about your well-being. I care, care about the health of our business. Um, I want to know this about you. I want the, you to know this about me. So when you're like... Um, why are you so irritated? Well, because my predominant animal is lion. And one of the things that I'm most irritated by is when people are unprepared, waste my time, they argue, they're blocking results, you know, all of a sudden the person who's a golden retriever that never knew that about you, they just had a vehicle that was put yeah. in place to allow that to happen. So those are the two things I would say as, you know, mystery shopping is going to tell us what we already know. And people have heard about that type of stuff lots of times. But the other part is I'm probably going to, for me, would be the animal test. There are certainly others. And I think there are companies that offer this type of thing to dealers. But what I find in dealers and I have found in um, other small companies that serve dealers is that this animal version of taking this kind of personality test um, is... It's, it's easy. Um, it's understandable and it can really be turned into a fun exercise of leadership and team building. Big fan of those are probably the two things that I would, I would recommend or that I would want to do. Love it, man. Such, such great information. How can those listening learn more or get in touch with you? Uh, it's super easy. Uh, usually as long as you spell my name, my first name correctly, um, so they can reach me at Sean at dealer superhero.com. And that is spelled S H A U N Sean at dealer superhero.com. Uh, they can also go to dealer superhero.com and uh, there's a contact form there. Uh, that'll go to me and a um, couple of my guys, but I see all every single one of them. We're a little company. So I see all of it. It's not as if I need to pretend like we're working with thousands of dealers. So maybe your contact form will reach me at some, no, I see them all. And uh, people can find me on Facebook. Um, it's pretty easy to find me on Facebook, um, on Twitter. Um, but easiest place is Sean at dealersuperhero.com or go to dealersuperhero.com and reach out through the website. There's a phone number on the website and there's also a, I think info ad and then there's a contact form there. Probably easiest. Awesome. Well, and you know what? 
The only thing you're not on, and this is I got a bone to pick with you, is the FZO9 that you're hosting that you don't have time to ride. Well, you need to put a backpack on and go grocery shopping. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. So you're going to be disappointed. Um, I I found a buyer. I sold my FZ09 last night. It uh, brings me a little bit of uh, sadness, but to be all, all honest with you, and you know a little bit about this week because I got about about me is I was you know I was up in your territory uh, last summer. I'm trying to figure out a way to come up this summer as well. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I love to ride, and you know we had a mutual buddy who you know, had a Harley Davidson. He was like, dude, I need this to be over here and over here. Can you ride it? And I was like, um, yes. So, you know, I grew up riding, um, you know, dirt bikes and I will have another one again, but I, I do have to be honest. I think as much as I love, and my wife asked me about this morning, she's like, are you sad? And I'm like, I was not riding. I was not riding enough to justify, you know, yeah. just it's sitting around and collecting dust. Plus, I think I'm at the stage now. Don't be mad at me because I know you're still on a Yamaha and I love and respect that. But I think I'm at the stage now where I think the next machine that goes on the road for me is probably going to be a Harley Davidson. Yeah, know? yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I, I'm sure I'll get so, there. I'm sure I'll get there. Cruising, cruising in a fat bob. Yeah, or there, there like could that. be a day where I would, you know, want to have a sport type of bike again. Um, which I love the 07 and the 09. They're just amazing, um, really affordable bikes. I mean, I could sit here on your podcast and talk about motorcycles all day long. But yeah, um, uh, definitely, uh, I um, I sold it last night. <laughs> Well, I just don't know how to exit from this, so I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, I'm, you're dead to me, man. What? You sold your Yamaha? How could you do that? Well, I, I honestly, and you hear, heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I honestly think no, no more conferences, but a motorcycle mastermind. <laughs> Where it's just a it's just a cruise, and every place we stop, we just have good conversation, and then we cruise again, and then we stop wherever we stop for lunch or dinner or whatever, and we just like I don't know, we pick a path and we just cruise. You get like forty guys on bikes. I would totally roll. be in on that. I would love to flush out an idea where people could, if they couldn't do the whole journey, that you and I were the ones who would have to be the do the whole journey. Whatever we pick is point A and and the ending. But anybody that wanted to ride a portion yep. of it with us and have these little stop off campfire chats and like what's going on, maybe go into some dealers that were like, Hey, we want you to come by our dealership and then we'll do a, you know, a couple hundred miles with you on uh, man. That would be so cool. Yeah. I would love it. Especially, especially so. Cirillo. If we could uh, either between the two of us or have somebody that could come along and do the videography of capturing so much of that, yeah. that would be such a cool little thing to put together because I love stuff that's just real and authentic and just not overthought or overdone. That would be a super cool idea. 